0: Reflection can be challenging because sometimes we might not always like what we see, but one of the most important tools for being an empowered educator is the reflective process. Because by reflecting on your experiences, you can start to make conscious choices to who you want to be, understand what makes you happy, and develop an awareness of why things work out or why they don't. Reflection is also a way to create a culture of celebrating yourself, because we certainly don't do that enough. So today, I am joined by Selena Woodward, who is a teacher, mentor, mother, and the voice of the Reflective Teacher podcast. She is a university lecturer and an English and drama teacher who coaches educators around Australia through the accreditation process and is well known for her clear, helpful, and easy-to-implement tips and tricks for making the reflective practice easier. She strongly believes that reflective practice is all about helping you to connect with what you already do every day and to see your impact and celebrate the impact and share it with your students. So I hope this serves as a reminder to pause and notice and reflect on the things all around you, even if it means leaning into the discomfort. And if you are feeling overwhelmed, it's time to find some peace and joy. My ebook, 24 Ways to Find Calm in Your Busy World, is now available to podcast listeners for free at empowerededucator.com slash ebook. Download your copy today. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching, feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world. Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed and overwhelmed and frustrated. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner. And I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority shift how you live your life and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of Take Notes. Selena. Hello. 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 How are you? Thank Thank you for having me. Good. Yes. I'm so glad we get to reconnect. Selena and I met close to a year ago, actually, when I was on your podcast.
1: You were? Everyone, we need to listen to that one too. It's it was That's so right. much fun. We it love to nerd out, fun. so
0: I'll put that in a chance as well. Yeah. So people, yes. can, can listen
1: to
0: So I'm so glad <laughs> you're back, and I would love for you to share a little bit before we dive into the nitty gritty of reflection. You know, why was reflection something that you wanted to even
1: pursue the way that you're pursuing it right now? Why Why was that important for you? I think for me, it's the way my brain is wired. I have a magic power of being able to connect dots really, really quickly. I suspect that I am a bit neurodivergent and possibly a bit gifted, and my brain works really quickly. <laughs> and so my I also have a naturally curious brain that likes to understand everything. So reflective practice has been a huge part of just who I am in my head. And I'm sure there's others who can relate to that. Some might call it the the strict critic at times. It can be a little bit mean, that voice, but I've always been really curious and teaching for me was always about curiosity. I remember when I was studying to be a teacher at uni, I told myself I wouldn't bother teaching for longer than 10 years because it would get really boring because as an English teacher, that meant 10 years of teaching the same texts over and over again. And that was kind of what I understood it to be. And then when I became a teacher and I realized that teaching had very little to do with the content and more to do with relational leadership, more to do with the how we deliver, it became such a glorious puzzle for my brain. I was like, right, they've got 32 different kids, five sets of 32 different kids every day to work out. And so reflective practice just became my way of understanding my impact because for me, what really matters is the difference that I'm making and, and how enthusiastic the kids are, not just about English, but it, and about themselves. I used to work in a lot of low socioeconomic schools, originally in the UK. And I used to work with a lot of kids who were very down on themselves, didn't really see the world in a very exciting way. So I, I became like this, I'm a type two Enneagram. So I'm a helper and I have to solve the world's problems. And the only way to do that is to see and understand what's going on. And so reflective practice just became a part of what I do. And I used to do that by writing on a blog. And that's kind of how my whole business came about because I ended up learning how to reflect. And then here in Australia, we have teaching standards that we've been able then to use to dive deeper into the what and the why of what I'm doing. And it's just become a huge part of who I am as a professional, who I am personally, I just think it's incredibly powerful. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> yes, it is powerful because we can't change what we don't notice. So reflection really is the noticing in all of that, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, and that's it. And often, particularly in teaching, it's an incredibly busy job, right? We hardly have time for a wee and a tea. I used to say, you know, yeah. like and and you well. know, like. So I actually had to practice, like meditation, like anything else. I had to practice pausing and noticing, pausing and reflecting, because otherwise we make assumptions about our practice. We assume that what we're doing is right because it worked last time and often we're wrong. And working with educators here in Australia, I, I often find that the teachers are quite surprised when I take them through my processes. They go, oh my goodness, I was planning to, like for example, this year I was working with a brilliant teacher in New South Wales and he was working on preparing kids for an exam we have here called NAPLAN. And he had planned this whole unit and then he was working with me and I asked him to plan for measuring impact to reflect during his lesson and to do that with the kids. And within half an hour of his lesson, he realized these kids were moving way faster than he thought they were. And so if he hadn't had paused, hadn't planned to include that measurement of impact in his lesson, he would have carried on with this unit and he would have slowed them down <laughs> and he would have wasted their time. And he was like blown away by that, you know, so it's so important that we don't tell stories in our head about what we assume is happening. And so yeah, that puzzle, the part of that, but as you say, noticing, slowing down, planning to see the impact, planning to understand the reasons. Why things are going well and why they're not going well is just a part of the fun of teaching, really, isn't
0: it? it yeah. Is sort of being an effective teacher. And I think that there are so many of these external evaluations or external variables that are placed on us to determine whether or not we're being effective. Whereas I think <laughs> that the most powerful tool for being effective is the reflective
1: process. Yes. I don't know. And that's kind of why I've ended up with doing what I'm doing, because we do have these teaching standards, right? And uh, here in Australia, you have to prove that you've met certain levels of these teaching standards. There's the ones you do at uni, as people see them, you kind of should be learning new things all the time, hey, so, but you know, there's the graduate ones, then there's the proficient ones that prove that you've ticked the boxes. And that's unfortunately how it's been presented. It's a piece of paperwork. It's a hoop jumping exercise. There's kind of that kind of culture behind it. And my mission is to just turn that around and go, actually, we got to do this stuff because it's a hoop jumping exercise. It's part of our career progression, but we can make it really meaningful. And I haven't yet met a teacher who genuinely cares about the teaching standards or the accreditation paperwork. What they actually care about is the kids they're working with, the colleagues they're coaching, the community they're impacting on, right? So if we can change our mindset, look at it through a slightly different lens. Those tools that we we feel like have been thrust upon us can actually become really cool ways to help guide us through that reflection. So that's that's kind of a huge part of what I do is a mindset shift where we basically change it up and turn it around and say, right, what do you care about? What is your purpose here? We know it's not tick the box or do the paperwork, right? So how can we change the lens so that you can get that paperwork done because it has to be done, but in alignment with who you are and what you believe as a practitioner and in a way that will spark you and actually inspire you. So I actually get teachers telling me they're quite addicted to the process because it becomes a bit gamified, right? Okay, We've got 37 focus areas across this career stage. Oh, let's see what I can do. And, you know and it helps you. With that structure in it, it helps you become really aware. I don't know, Jen, I talk about the shadow side and the light side of a teacher. So bear with me, okay? So this is new. I haven't told Jen about this. So when I work with educators and we use the standards and we use it in our way to help inform our practice, we usually discover that there is a light that we like to stand in and it's really comfortable and it feels really good. And there are certain areas of our practice that we run away from there are shadows, there are things that we haven't done the professional development in, there are things that feel really hard and we're a bit frightened of going towards. And so it's really good to know that. So for example, I know in my practice, I'm obsessed with education technology, technology integration. That's what I lecture in at Flinders Uni here in South Australia. I offer it books on that. And so as a teacher, I'll be like, can I go to this big conference in Sydney called EduTech? And someone will pay for me to go to that. But actually, do I need to go and do more PD on the thing I've written books about? Sure, I want to. I want to go network and see my friends and I want to have the lunch and I want to find out what's new. Or do I need to look at myself as a holistic practitioner? Are there areas, and I know there are, that I am scared of? So as I said, I'm British, right? And I moved here 12 years ago to Australia. And one of our standards is Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures. I had no idea about that stuff. And so that I will happily avoid. So using reflective practice in line with a framework that allows me, that enables me to go, okay, so yes, you're allowed one fun conference in technology and you can read all the books, but I also need you to go and address this thing because it's actually really, really, really important. So I think for me, those hoop jumping paperwork things, it's about mindset and it's about aligning that back to your purpose so that you are meeting the requirements of whatever government body, you know, is currently in power. But you're doing it with style and you're doing it by setting those hoops on fire because, like, you ain't doing nothing. You ain't got time for anything that's not going to make a difference to you personally or your kids. And I think that's- reflective practice is a huge part of that for me.
0: Yeah, Style and fire, I like where you're yeah, going.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. <laughs> you know where to go.
0: Yeah. So I would love for you to walk us through a little bit of the process, because I think that reflection can become this very big, heavy, meta idea, whereas reflection can happen in those small moments, in those interactions that you have with students or colleagues, right? Or even at home with your family, right? Because you're the same person, whether you're at work or at school or at home. So. Can you talk us through some of those places and the processes of what reflection even looks like?
1: Yeah. So I guess for work purposes, I have lots of different strategies. We can do different lenses. So let's think about this. So if I'm a teacher and I'm looking to just reflect on my practice in a really informal way, I'm not currently trying to tick a box. I'm just here to show up for myself, show up for my students and lean into that curiosity. I actually talk a lot about professional spidey senses in my work. So uh, really channeling Spider-Man here. All right. You know, we all have, you know, we've seen spidey senses tingle. And I don't know, I'm sure everyone can relate that as a teacher, we have the same ability and it comes over time. You know, like you plan this amazing lesson and you've spent hours on it on Sunday. You might have laminated some things or you've gone crazy. And then you rock up on Monday morning and it's a full moon last night, it's high winds, it's raining, and probably some insect slash pigeon has flown into your classroom. You know, like, what are all of those things? You know, it doesn't matter how much time and effort you've put into that lesson, it ain't going to happen the way you thought it was. The kids are up on the ceiling, game over because there's a wasp or a pigeon, you know, like all these things happen. It could be as dramatic as that or as simple as you've got 30 kids in front of you and there's just a group of kids in one corner or one or two who are just not aligned to what you're doing. They're not vibing. They're not getting it. Maybe their behavior is not quite right. Something. There'll be a sense that this isn't working. You'll get a gut feeling. Like I really feel that. It's a re- that's why it's relational in our classroom, right? That you'll get a feeling and you're like, oh, and you can either just keep going, stick to the plan or... As we get more practice, we start to, I guess, pivot. You could use the business term pivot and go, right, okay, this is not working. What will work? And you could pull out another resource or you try something different. And in those moments, you're already in the process of reflection. And what's happening is you're actually, if you can be aware of what your body's telling you and tuning in, you'll begin to be aware of how you do it automatically. You'll be like, okay, why did I just pivot there? Why did I change my plan? And so what I get my teachers to do is in their planner, I get them to write emojis in the corner. So if it felt great, I get them to draw a smiley face and just one word next to it about something just to remind them of what it was. And if it felt like, oh, God, this has all gone to crap, (laughs) they can draw a pigeon if necessary. But, you know, like a sad face, (laughs) a sad face and a question, like a word and a question. And then once the lesson's over, I ask the people I work with to schedule just 15 minutes a week, That's all, into their day. So we have mid-time, so non-contact time on our timetables, and we make sure there's 15 minutes to pick a smiley face incident, a spidey sense incident, and just dive into it. And I think the really important thing about that, well, it's twofold. One, if it's happy, we need to pause and connect with that and celebrate that. Because, my God, we are so tired right now. The world has been bonkers. And when we focus on the difference we are making, that's our purpose. That's our why. That recharges us. That makes us feel good. That makes our brain go, hey, I like this. We should do more. (laughs) And it helps us keep going, all right, and helps us focus on the path we want to go on. That's really important. And the other thing that's really important is to lean into the sad face. Because the sad face represents what I like to call a metaphorical rock. <laughs> I don't know, Jen, have you ever taught a lesson where it's gone really crap and you didn't address it and you know you've got that class again next week and maybe you have a cup of coffee before it's coffee break or whatever and you're just dreading them arriving because you're still in the energy you were a week ago? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And that's the rock, right? That Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the sad face. That's the rock. All right. So... Sometimes, and this really freaks out the teachers I work with because they think when they're reflecting, they've got to only talk about the good stuff because they need to show up and show the world that they're amazing. And I'm like, but the way you show you're an amazing educator is to show you're an amazing learner. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So if that went wrong, what can you learn about that? That means you could put that rock down and not carry it to the next lesson that you have with those kids. Is there something you can take away from that? And then when you've learned that lesson, your brain will let it go. <laughs> if you spend all term just adding rocks to your rucksack, but by the end of the term, you're just so busy carrying all that, you haven't, you know, one day you are exhausted, you know, like so the power of that, just that simple practice of 15 minutes and just tuning into your body and going, okay, do I need to drop a rock? <laughs> that sounds terrible. Do I need to drop a rock or, two? No, or that. do I need to celebrate? You know, how does that sound? That's a really informal one that I do with my teachers all the time. And that's going to be a conversation with leadership too. If you're listening to this as a leader in a school, creating a culture of celebrating the hard stuff and making space for teachers to admit it was hard and it's safe and they can be vulnerable and they can listen to each other and say, yeah, I had that as well. You know, like it's amazing what we can learn from each other. So I'll give you an example from my practice, if you like. I once had a year eight class. I was always given the, the tricky classes. I love puzzles, right? So tricky classes are my favorite thing. So I had this year eight class and I couldn't crack them in terms of they were just all over the place, shiny. Now I'm also very shiny and I have to be aware of that. So I was trying to dull my shiny down and or shiny up over here, like get there. T- I tried everything, you know, like. Right. I'll increase the pace of my lesson. So they keep moving and they can't. It's no time to move. I'll, I'll, or I'll try classical music and we'll come in and we'll come. In. Tried everything and nothing was working. And I was reflecting on this and trying different things, tweaking and pivoting all over the place. Still, still not quite got it. And one of my colleagues, Alistair, his name is Alistair, had them once a week. So we kind of had a split class. Now, Alistair is a very different teacher. I'm very loud and big and I have lots of energy. Alistair is that teacher who walks down the corridor with the clipboard and everyone runs. You know that one?
0: It's <laughs> oh, not who he is I in real life,
1: <laughs> but that's his performance, right? And I was like, okay. And he's like, I don't have any issues. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, of course you don't. But I'm like, all right. So eventually I decided to go and observe my class with him. And, you know, I, I've tried everything. And I'm telling myself stories at this point because I'm running out of ideas. And do you know what he did differently? One thing he did differently was he closed the blinds in his classroom. And that meant that the interactive whiteboard screen at the front was the shiniest thing in the room. And it changed the energy. And I was like, are you kidding me? And you know, I have spent all term like pedagogy this strategy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and sometimes being in a culture where it's okay to say to a colleague, dude, help me. He could have come and observed me and he could have gone and just draw my blinds for <laughs> You know, like, you know, just being able to do that and reflect together. It's probably one of the most powerful things you can do for your kids and your community. So, yeah, so having that informal way of doing that is really great in a sort of on-the-fly kind of way. But I also have a bit of a ritual that I like to do at the end of term as well. Would you like to hear about that one?
0: Yeah, sure. These are great. So this is, yeah,
1: cool. So I have a little ritual that I like to do every quarter or every term, however it kind of rolls with you guys, semester, whatever words you like to use. But when you're feeling like, okay, Sometimes those rocks sneak in and you're like, I'm feeling a bit crap about this, a bit crap about that. Can't reflect on everything in 15 minutes a week. Okay. So you set aside an hour and I make two lists. I make a list of everything that felt awesome and lit me up and everything that felt heavy and I just regret and I wish it would go away. And there's like for me, that's usually shame and embarrassment and, oh my God, I'm not good enough vibes in that column, right? That's usually that column. And I just list them all, put the music on have a coffee and just get it all out. I like to call it vomiting on the page, but do it with words. Okay, do it with words. Just let it all out. Happy face column, sad face column. And then you get a different colored pen and you write why. So not just the what, but why. I always start in the sad column because that's just how I like to torture myself. But this is clearing it, right? So, okay, so that lesson, that was a complete disaster. Why? What happened? Was it that I didn't have the resources? Was it that I had tried too too much. So there was just too much. And it was, you know, what was it? And I'll just make notes in a different color. So what I'm trying to do here is connect with the why I'm trying to let my brain move away from the emotion. Like the emotion is my signpost. I need it. It shows me that the thing There's a rock. <laughs> if it's an uncomfortable, heavy emotion, write write down what triggered it. And then I write next to it, why I think that happened. And then I look in the happy column and this is a really real doozy for me, right? I go, okay, here are all the things in the happy column. Is there anything in here, and this is that word should, is there anything in here that I feel I should feel more excited about than I am? And it's really interesting, this column, because this is where it reveals my values as an educator usually. Okay. So for example, I might have written, uh, there was an X percentage increase in attainment in this class, right? Kind have of written it like that. And I'm like, I should feel like, wow, the school thinks that's a huge thing and they wanted that grade. Or, But for me, it wasn't really about that with that class. All right. And then I'm like, okay, so let's lean into why I'm not as excited as I should be. What's going on there? You know, is that a block for me? Am I not able to say you did something amazing there? Is there something coming up in me that I need to look at around a block? Or is it that that doesn't really belong in the smiley column? That's somebody else's that I'm now accepting a projection of and doesn't need to be there. And that helps me stay in alignment with what I actually care about next term. And it helps me learn the lessons that I need to learn and let go of the things that I don't want to do. And I actually learned that from a guy called James Wedmore in a business podcast about looking at what you've been doing in your business every quarter. And I tweaked it and it's so powerful because it's exactly the same practice. It's not deep reflection that one. It's not like let's dive into the detail of what teaching strategies I choose, or it's just connecting with where your body is showing up your emotions, learning what you need to learn. So the next time you're not carrying all of that. And I'll be honest, like sometimes the rocks sneak through. Now even that, and they repeat showing up. Because you gotta practice this, right? You gotta practice. It is reflective. Practice. It, it takes could. practice, but if you don't show up for it and you don't practice, that you get more rocks. That's my experience. So yeah, there's two two different ways. No, that's uh, kind of. And I think yeah, you hit on two
0: things that are really aligned with the work that I do and share. This idea of constantly looking for that alignment. We are so good at projecting, like you said, uh, on what we think we should be doing or what we're supposed to be doing what we should feel excited about, what we should feel maybe embarrassed or shame about or guilt about. But at the end of the day, once you are able to get it out of your head and onto paper, it becomes more objective and you can start to think about it consciously and separate from the stories and the narratives that have become a part of who you are and decide, is this serving me?
1: Or not, because yes. if it is, if you like your bag of rocks, cool. Like live and love. If you need them, okay. Sometimes they are serving you, and that's yeah. usually a sign that you probably do have some work to do. But you know, like you could carry them if you want to, absolutely. But yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. decide, not,
0: I don't actually want to carry these rocks anymore, then that's a moment of beautiful growth. And is it going to be uncomfortable putting them down after you've been so used to carrying them all the time? Absolutely. Oh, yes. That's why I think doing this with. Somebody who can walk you through the practice or in community, like what we've been talking about even before the podcast started recording, we were talking about community building, you know, to
1: do this individually within community. Absolutely. And it is really important because the schools that I work with where I've got one teacher and they're on their own, they, they come to me because they're feeling isolated and they need that community connection. And I run eight week programs and we connect in zoom and we're from all over Australia usually, you know, and I, I want to add as well, go back to what you were saying around the whole stories and the taking it personally thing. And I want to bring it back to the paperwork because I know we all hate the paperwork, right? And the teaching standards in every country, we all resent them and we feel that we're being told how to do our job. And and that is often, honestly, for me, came from a place of fear because they represent a judgment. That's how it feels. They are there to judge me. And I'm scared of that because I don't want to fail. It's important to me that I'm really good at my job. But if I get practiced at reflection, It's important to me that I learn, I get the data, the information about where things aren't right and I am leaning into it, right? And then that means that instead of seeing it as judgment, I'm seeing it as an opportunity for growth. Now, a lot of people will be listening to that going, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But lean in with me here, okay? Because it's proven, right? It works time and time again. If you flip it, right? And you start with your story, that's really important. Do not start with the standards, whatever they're called, in whatever area. Do not start with the paperwork. Start with the curiosity, start with the emotion and and write it out. So if you're doing the smiley faces in your planner and then you're using that 15 minutes, vomit on the page again about that thing. Don't worry about how formal it is or what someone else is going to think when they read it. None of that is relevant. Just sit in here, get it out. And then use the paperwork, right? Use the frameworks to ask questions because what that does, if you're on your own and you don't have a community around you to do that for you, is it gives you a kind of scaffold a way of diving deeper into your practice so you know if you've written about an assessment look at what the standards say about assessment and ask yourself so here in Australia we've got one that's ridiculously long that's something like uses a range of formal informal summative blah, 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 like all these i've really ridiculously long standard about assessment all right and so maybe i look at that and i go okay this assessment was crap it didn't work i got i didn't get the data i needed Let's have a look at the standard. Or maybe what I actually needed was a formative assessment, not a summative one. So the standards become a friend. They become a completely impartial guide on the side. It's really powerful. And it's a real mindset shift. And I know it it does mean that you do become quite happy with those pieces of paperwork. But you know why? It's because you're owning them and you're using them in a way that fuels you and is, again, aligned with what you're doing. And you're not letting them lead anything. You're asking them to be the guide on the side to you as the hero, learning how to do your job amazingly. They are your Yoda. All right. That's who they are. Right, See them that way and take them with a pinch of salt. And then if you don't, eventually you will end up being able to guide other people in that way. And what tends to happen is because they're not no longer about judging you negatively, they're about leaning in and being curious and identifying, oh my God, I've done all of that. I'm amazing. Or, oh, that's curious. I've been avoiding that. A lot of people who come to me here in South Australia or in Australia, they want to do the, we have four career stages and two of them are like the highly accomplished and lead teacher status. And a lot of teachers come to me wanting to do HA, highly accomplished, because they feel like they want another certificate, it's time for them to prove themselves. And then by the time they're finished with me, they don't want the certificate <laughs> because what they've actually realised is there's plenty of fun to be had. And I do say fun, playing with those standards and exploring themselves as educators. And eventually, once they've done that, they will have their evidence. And if they fancy submitting it to get a certificate, cool, they've got it right. But uh, they've just got to obviously they have to package it for the assessor. But it'll be easier. They know what they're doing. And they're having so much fun using the framework as their Yoda. It's helping them dive in and creating it in a way that means it's not personal. And if you're mentoring um, a trainee teacher from uni, it's the same thing. Did you have a crap prac? Did you have an awful prac when you were a practicum, when you were training to be a teacher? Everyone I know had that one mentor that made their life miserable. Did you have that? Did I you did. have any experience? No, like I had a I really oh did. lucky, lucky. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm very proud. That's very good. Yes, and actually most people I know. Yes, hmm, <laughs> that's good. That's wonderful. Well, you know, like if you are mentoring a pre-service teacher, it can be really hard to guide them and say, "Look, actually, this isn't working." And so, if you can go back, you go back with this. This is what you did. Let's have a look at the standards. How do you feel? You can use that. You can use your sub Yoda, you can be chief Yoda and the standards can be mini, I don't know, Grogu. Is that what that will work? They can be, standards can be Grogu in that instance. All right. And you can use them to help guide the conversation and keep it really professional and not let it go, she doesn't like me or anything like that, you know, like it's amazing. So even if you're working in a mini community where you're mentoring somebody, using the standards like that just keeps the conversation really healthy. It's really cool. See, I get very passionate about it. No, like, I'm passionate I, about rubrics.
0: I <laughs> Well, I think that's why I always so, you know, drawn to your energy and all the things that you share and do. And even when we first met, because it's that passion and that it's it's very clear yeah. and evident in, in what you share and how you share it that. It's not about the what, it's very clearly about the why for you. And uh, that's that's really, I think, why we both align and love having these conversations. And I want to something that you said that I think is really important, too, about ego. You know, our ego wants Mm -hmm. to make everything personal. And when that happens, it sabotages the reflective practice because you're no longer looking at objective data. All of a sudden, you are trying to protect your ego from being hurt and from being wrong. And so it gets in the way of real learning and expansion. And when you start to practice dropping your ego, you start promoting the pieces of yourself that are curious so you can actually have the space to expand and be open to new information so you can grow But that, I think in my experience and what I've observed, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's usually the biggest saboteur. It
1: is. And that's where self-awareness becomes really important. And for me, I'm going to be a bit, this might come across as nuts, but I don't care. I guess I had like lots of voices in my head. I had lots of different kinds of egos. My ego was very split into different personalities. They were all protectors from different phases of my life. Half of them, I had no idea where they were coming from. Some of them, you know, as anyone else, you know, might hear your mom's voice in your head or you might hear and you realize, oh, that's my mom. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Or a teacher, as a teacher, you know, you hear your teacher's voices in your head. You compare yourself to your favorite teacher or you desperately don't want to be that teacher you hated. You know, like there's all this. But, and they're all running in your unconscious, You're just not consciously aware of them. And so I think self-awareness is a really big part of it. I think reflective practice is a great way to start becoming self-aware. And the more you practice it, you start to see patterns emerging. And then you're like, that's an interesting pattern. Do I want that pattern? Where's that pattern coming from? And I know for me, I tie my professional life and my personal life very closely. We were talking before we were recording about that in terms of business, but that's very true in teaching too, because it's a very relational space. I've said that lots of times. You are there as a human, with other humans. Every human in that room sees the world completely differently. So there can't be perfection because every single person has a completely different view of what perfection is. So that's a completely stupid game. Don't play that one. And so you don't <laughs> no, 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 Yeah. No more perfection no, Don't play that game. Yeah. It's pointless. Yeah. You know, if you interviewed everyone in that room and asked them, even if they're four, what's the perfect lesson, they'll all have a different idea about what that looks like that's part of the puzzle, right? And you're trying to create some learning activities and some learning experiences that tap into many things. It's exhausting. It's so fun. <laughs> I love it. Like my brain loves it. You can hear that. that's what my brain does. It sees patterns and it. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing that as you do that, I remember in my early career in England, we used to get observed every year and graded with a number. And I would be devastated if I was satisfactory. That was failure as far as I was concerned. I'm a Hermione Granger, by the way, Harry Potter. So I needed outstanding. But then I would work so hard to get the outstanding. I would sabotage myself because I was so busy. This is how I've learned my lessons and got to where I am now, right? I was so busy trying to tick all the boxes. I actually forgot that I was actually there to teach children, really, to be honest. I remember I had a role as a technology lead. That'll surprise everyone. No. So I was coordinating technology across several faculties and I was being observed by my line manager. So I prepared this amazing lesson. I was in Birmingham in the UK. It was travel writing. I had teachers from New York ready to answer my kids' questions in a chat room that was all fully vetted. I had Times Square beaming live on my interactive whiteboard. I was going for it. And At the end of the lesson, the teacher went, this was great. It was so exciting. Lots of great, cool stuff. But I'm gonna only, I can only give you satisfactory and I probably should fail you. And I'm like, what? Well, your learning objectives were about sentence structure and creating and creative writing. <laughs> but they just seemed to spend a lot of time talking to teachers in New York. And at, I was like, shit, let's get all the time. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I had got damn. so upset with trying to prove to this guy that I was a tech genius and I had all this network. And look at me, because that's what I thought he wanted to see. I completely lost sight of the fact that I was actually there to teach them travel, And You know, the kids had a great time. I even served them New York bagels at the door. I did the whole sensory experience. New York bagels at the door, sound of I was going for the full sensory experience. It was a brilliant lesson, but I didn't teach them any English, unfortunately. So, you know, like it was a great, that was a, oh God, moment for me in reflection of how far I was willing to go to try and please somebody else. Not my kids. Um, and as I say, if you're into Enneagrams, I'm a type two Enneagram. So it's really important to me when I'm in an unhealthy place that everyone loves me and appreciates me. So I will work really, really, really hard until you tell me that I'm fabulous. I think a lot of teachers might be a type two. We love that.
0: I think you're right. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I've interviewed so many people <laughs> who have shared those, oh shit moments with me. You <laughs> should you know you are sorry i swore on your podcast no you're you're, that's totally fine and because it's it's real it's important you know this is something that every teacher goes through at some point if you're paying attention right so you're doing your thing and then all of a sudden you're in this world and your eyes all of a sudden are open and you are standing in like the middle of a mud puddle that is also in a desert and you're in outer space and you have no idea of where you are because You've lost sight of maybe the thing that matters, right? Or yeah. you've become so disconnected from perhaps the objective or the purpose in an effort to follow tradition, uh, to people
1: please, to be a
0: perfectionist, or the, the list goes on and on and on and on.
1: And all of that is my ego, right? It's my ego yes. because my ego is trying to protect me. It's like this guy wants you to show him this. And that's certainly not what that guy. I've made that story up. Well, my ego has made that story up <laughs> because it thinks it's helpful and it's trying to protect me. Thank you, ego. Thank you very much. It's a it role. <laughs> it's an old panic. Come, it comes from my childhood. I'm trying to please the older figure. I'm trying to, it doesn't matter whether they know. I probably knew way more. It didn't matter. That didn't matter because he's been around longer. He's in a position of seniority. Therefore, these are the rules and these are the things I have to do. And that's not who I am. That's not self. That's protector or firefighter. If you're into internal family systems, so it's like parts
0: yes, of me. <laughs> like we can talk about that. I'm. We're going to put
1: a pin in that. <laughs> Watch out, watchers. We do no doubt. Um. So yeah, like so, like it's parts of me that are doing a beautiful job. They're parts of old programs though, and you know that protector might have appeared when I was four, and at that point I was thirty something. Like I don't need the same little person to pop up. So for me, with all the reflective practice, it does come down to self-awareness. And then I'll start to see these patterns in my ego. And then I can then move to a place where I can get someone to help me unpack that and pull those away. So that, and this is not just about me as a teacher. This is personally too, because you start to see these same little, oh, you might say they're on my hand. That's what I do, but there are goes. there is, uh, like, who are they? What do they look like? They pop up, I have a chat with them. And I integrate them back because it's usually a conflict when that happens. Sure. Yeah. Like at the end of that lesson, I'm like, oh, right. So I listen to you and this is what's happened. And this part of me wants to be really successful. And that means making sure the kids are learning <laughs> for the job, have and are growing and are developing their skills personally and in English and drama. And this person really, really wants to impress the boss. And, thinks, and they're probably doing both the same thing, but they've just got different ways of doing it. And it's about letting four-year-olds or whoever this one is, integrate with the one who actually knows the real world and the present and letting them come together so that I can actually do what I need to do without being sabotaged by a part of me that is no longer that helpful, isn't serving me anymore. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's when you start to really do the introspective work. It's just data. It is all daily and there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing broken. We are all beautiful human and we get to be on this journey of exploration and and self-discovery. And I think that is the most exciting journey to
1: be on. It is. And if you are a practitioner of reflectiveness or a reflective practitioner, (laughs) you get to lead into that with curiosity, right? So you learn you kind of learn to be okay in those uncomfortable spaces because your brain learns and understands that you stay there for a little time and then it drops and it's okay again because you put the rock down, right? If you don't practice that, then the uncomfortableness feels really really scary. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are some scary rocks and I don't want to go near them. Like you are saying, they're serving me in some way right now. And I don't even want to go there because they're too scary. And that's totally okay. There has to be A level of resilience in you as well. I think that's really important. Don't go uncovering rocks when you're not in a good place to uncover a rock. You know, like you've got to have the support, which, you know, is coming back to that community professionally and it could be professional help personally. I think I personally have been journeying this year with neuro linguistic programming that has been amazing for doing that. My, my practitioner that I work with does parts work as part of the NLP as well that's the little people and the integration. And that has been really great. And that takes my self-awareness to another level now because I've been doing that for about a year. And so now I'll rock up to a session. I'll be like, hey, I noticed this thing. It was really interesting because things are popping up in my life and I'd be like, this happens. And then I feel like this and I just shut down. And she'd be like, there was a thought. What did you think before you shut down? I'm like, oh, nothing. I didn't think anything. I just shut down. She's like, no, that's not how it works. You got to slow this down. And that's what I mean about this unconscious, subconscious things that you're doing so fast, you actually genuinely have no conscious awareness of them. And it and the first part of the conversation is always is that awareness, right? And so when something like that happens and I don't understand why I've shut down. So like maybe I'm in a meeting, someone said something and the shame monster is consuming. I tend to go into my shame cave. I'll shrink inside and go very, very quiet. I don't want to do that. I'm a powerful informed educator. Like I don't need to go into the shame cave. That's not who I am, right? So I'm like, and she would be like, well, what did you think? And I'm like, nothing. And so I had to become really conscious of what was happening before I went into the shame cave. Like, what was the thought? And then once we had the thought, we could work with that and explore what that thought was, what emotions were attached to it. And then just pull it away. It's really interesting. And it's not like a lobotomy, but it, it feels the side of strings. Like basically, yeah. well, my brain over 42 now. So I've got 42 years of very wacky wiring going on in here. And there's 42,000 protectors and the voices. I used to call them the voices and they all had different opinions. And sometimes they argue with each other. Does that, I hope everyone's relating to this and not going. Who is this completely <laughs> insane woman? hanging
0: out with me and in the world? This is familiar
1: territory. Good. Okay, <laughs> good. We're going there. Okay, cool. So there's all these voices, you know, like, but I want to be this to Oh, but you must appease this person. And then there's another one over here. And so I can take that. Once I work out what my body is doing, how my unconscious mind is kicking in those pathways, I can see them. I can unpack them and I can choose to remove them. It's as simple as that with the help of a practitioner. And that is amazing. And really, I'm going to use a really weird word. It's really discombobulating because I remember saying to her, it's like I've been driving the car with the mirrors adjusted like this and now you've pulled that away. I need to adjust my mirrors and everything looks different. Like the way I show up is different. Mm -hmm. The way I see that person's behavior is different because it's no longer about me, it's about them. And that gives me the power to hold up a mirror sometimes with love and compassion and let them learn their thing that they need to take forward. Because if I keep taking it all, they're never going to go on their journey, right? They're never going to learn what they need to learn. So oh, it's been amazing. And I think, yeah, reflective practice is definitely the beginning of that. And the more you practice it, as I say, that leads to patterns and that leads to real freedom. And that's what it's about for me. I want to be me. I kind of see from an internal family systems perspective, there's self. And myself Selena, she's very chilled she likes to sit down and with a cross-legged and just chill and she laughs a lot at all the crazy things going on around her she finds it very amusing. and then there's all these other versions there's all these other protectors who think she's why is she relaxed like that like they're they're anxious they're busy and they're very high energy and it and, and and she just has to have a, a conversation with them fairly regularly. And I now know by feeling into my body when I am self and when my ego or these parts are showing up to sabotage me. And that's so powerful. Now that's taken years of practice. <laughs> but that's incredibly powerful to know what it feels like, I call it when you're in alignment and when you're not. You know, what what happens? What do I do? I will giggle a lot. I'll say something really serious and then giggle because I'm scared. You know, like I'll be like, oh. I've giggled over something that's really not funny that means you're uncomfortable okay just take a breath you know like little ticks little things that show up in my body it's really interesting and it all begins with learning to slow enough to reflect professionally and of course personally too they all very tied together yeah well wherever yeah. you go
0: there you are so yes yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> always going to be the same your entourage That's right. of various versions of you. everybody. Yeah. So last question, I know, because we can go on forever and I would love to actually continue this conversation in, in some other capacity. But
1: for the purpose of today's podcast, what is your dream for the future of education? I think for me, education is always about learning and everyone will be like, well, duh. But weirdly, I think education is not always about learning when it comes to the way the system is currently set up. It's about political agendas, I said it, you know, like I've got to be able to track these numbers so I look good and I can say and let me again. There's always some kind of strange thing. For me, education should be relational. For me, education is about removing all of this hierarchy and understanding that no matter how old we are or what journey we're on, it's about community and about sharing knowledge and wisdom. So as an English teacher, I can nerd out about William Shakespeare and Going to load the detail and I want to share that with kids so that they feel excited about the history and the culture of that art. You know, I don't, and if they get an A in their exam, awesome. But you know, like I want them to be to learn what they want to learn. I want to light them up. So for me, education is about lighting fires. It's Prometheus, I guess it's lighting fires and allowing kids and teachers the freedom to experience their fire and nurture that. And that does mean. Sometimes exploring the things that are putting out the fire and that can be systems, that can be processes and it can be ourselves. So for me, education is about alignment. I want my dream would be that people are free to be vulnerable in their jobs, in their space as an educator, vulnerable with the kids and vulnerable with each other so that we can all grow together on that journey. Because I could tell you now, I learned so much from my students and from my colleagues and from the teachers that I work with. It is all a reciprocal energetic exchange, you know, like it's all about learning and swapping knowledge and wisdom. And I think if we could make education focus on what lights us up, I think the world would be a much happier place <laughs> rather than all this pressure on things that don't really matter to most, you know? Yeah, yeah. I totally That's agree. That's a huge that went deep. Sorry, that was yeah. Good. No,
0: I, deep. I love it. I'll, I'll tell you, and being surrounded by people who are going to fan your flame. Absolutely. Protect and fan it. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, part it's of my job crazy. is that. Look yes. at us. We're vibing up. We're having fun. Exactly. This is what it should be. This is education, right? We're learning from each other. We're swapping stories. We're sharing wisdom and we're lighting each other up and we're very excited. Yeah, that's,
0: what, that's it. <laughs> so how can people learn more about you and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, sure. So my business is called Edufolios. So I actually have a business where you can reflect on your practice. It's very geared towards the Aussie market, but you're welcome to come and join us. And that's Edufolios. That's E-D-U-F-O-L-I-O-S dot org. Um, I have a podcast too. Jen's on it. Um And I talk about reflective practice all the time. So if you want to learn more or tune in to more of the stories and the interviews that I have too, then head to edufolios.org and just shove podcast on the end and you can connect with me there and feel free to have a wander through all the resources. I also have some online courses you can come join me on, but it's all at edufolios.org. And her
0: podcast is pretty fantastic. So check that out because you'll learn some really great stuff. So Selena, thank you so much for your time and your thank talents you. and sharing them with the world of Take Notes. I so appreciate you. I
1: appreciate you. But back at you, my friend.
0: Thank you for having me. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to write a five-star review and subscribe. And we'll see you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.